Welcome to Clearing the Haze, Making the Invisible Visible, a podcast show that discusses topics that are usually invisible or just hazy. I'm your host, Shachi Irte. Please note, this podcast was recorded during the lockdown in the country with limited resources. We thank you for your support and understanding. In our segment today, we will be talking about a trans man's journey to oneself, a topic that has often not received the attention it should. For many, it is a topic that has been hazy. Our guests today are Kritik Shiva, a trans man, and Nandini Krishnan, an author who has written about a trans man's journey to oneself. Welcome both of you to our episode today. Let me begin by asking Kritik, I would like you to introduce yourself and then also to explain to our listeners how you define trans man. Hi everybody, my name is Kritik Shiva. I am an undergraduate chemical engineering student. I am a in, uh, visually impaired person and I identify myself as a trans man. My journey started uh, about uh, seven years ago when, when I turned 18. Uh, I understood that I was a trans man after uh, I joined my college. I had unlimited access of internet uh, where I could search like-minded people and where I could understand who I was. And uh, I, I would define trans man as someone who is assigned female at birth and identifies themselves as male. I started my transition journey four years ago. I am I'm legally and medically transitioned as a male. Great. Thank you so That's much. It. So tell me a little more about the societal expectations. You know, uh, society expects people to look, behave and act in certain ways. As a trans man, what are some of the pressures of masculinity you face frequently? Are there some pressures that get you while you are there and some of them that don't, you don't get it at all? I mean, it doesn't matter and you just look the other way. As a trans man, the pressures of masculinity, masculinity I face is the amount of power you have. Say, for example, uh, how well you are settled uh, and how soon you are settled mm-hmm. uh, with respect to financial independence. The expectation, uh, the physical expectations are def- uh, definitely there. Perceived male body, mm-hmm. the muscular perceived male body is expected from us. And uh, that is a definite social pressure. Say, for example, the facial hair, the how tall you are, how fit you are, uh, mm-hmm. is definitely a social pressure, I would say. The pressures that I'm willing to look the other way is comes along the so-called masculine traits that we have mm-hmm. to... Uh, exhibit basically in a social condition or in a personal life for example the way i walk or the way mm-hmm. i talk i don't think i'm uh, willing to compromise i feel masculine enough to express myself and uh, that is another pressure of from a, a male in the society to you know uh, curb your emotions and mm-hmm. especially facial uh, emotions etc and i think that is something i i would uh, i have faced and i have a lot of people have looked at the way, uh, looked looked at me or stared at me while uh, I'm a little expressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I tend to be a little expressive also, and I think that is also something that I overcame personally. I had a lot of pressure uh, personally, and I think I overcame it uh, over the years. Uh, moving on, when we talk about binary genders, men and women, women tend to complain that they are not accepted easily in men's network. What has been your experience? Are you easily accepted in men's club after your transition? Yes, about this, uh, when before transition, uh, definitely I faced the uh, same because I was perceived as a woman. 
and mm-hmm. i did face these kind of issues uh, i was not accepted in in a, in a way i think i had a lot of stress uh, being perceived as a woman and i had to uh, act that way and uh, i think most of the time i didn't and even then i think i my voice was not heard for example uh, even in a pro- professional setting uh, with my college friends just because i was perceived as a woman i think i didn't have a voice that is uh, something that uh, and my and whatever i said was not taken seriously i think and uh, i i felt like i was not valuable enough to be taken seriously and after transitioning there there are very few people i actually come out to comfortably mm-hmm. to actually uh, mention my transition okay. because i pass as a male i tend to go with that and uh, put my safety and first with respect to being in a men's club i i think i had i i wanted that in the initial period of my life mm-hmm. but now uh, looking back uh, looking back i don't feel that need anymore because sometimes uh, in the so called men's club i don't want to be included when when the conversation uh, revolves around in a degrading way to, towards women for example in objectification manner i feel that i have experienced that even though i was not identifying myself as a woman i was perceived as a woman and i experienced those kind of catcalling for example and harassment uh, mm-hmm. before in life and i feel that is a very that is not right i i totally oppose that kind of behavior and i can't stand that kind of behavior from anyone and i think for for that reason i feel comfortable with the friends who are uh, mindful about these things and respect people i mm-hmm. irrespective of gender uh, irrespective of their or- orientation i feel comfortable in those kind of circles instead of being instead of wanted to be included in a so called men's club thank you so much for sharing that distinction and also transitioning from uh, being rejected uh, to being accepted and then you rejecting people our groups that you don't want to be a part of that's so beautifully articulated thank you so much krithik i was just thinking when he spoke about you know how he was perceived when uh, he was seen as female by the world and he brought up points which i have never really thought about before like i've always taken it for granted that everyone feels afraid to go out at night that everyone kind of senses somebody following them and these are things that one is very conditioned to as a woman Mm-hmm. and he has seen a side of that which i guess very few of us will be able to you know being perceived as that and then overcoming that and and passing in a different gender and the kind of liberties that it brings with it and kirtik because he's such a close friend of mine and is someone whom i see as a little brother also told me about another incident remember kirtik you were talking about how when you were working on a project and you're really good yeah. at coding and yeah, uh, yeah. these guys kind of asked you to clean up at the end of it all and didn't really listen to your opinions and that's something i've never experienced but he had when he was perceived as female mm-hmm. by his classmates yes uh, that happened actually when i was working with a couple of uh, college students with, uh, in on a project uh, mm-hmm. i was recently good uh, i i could i would say that i was on par with them definitely okay. uh, they were my peers and uh, mm-hmm. i we were working on a project and it was uh, electronic uh, electronics and coding project and uh, i was not allowed to work on it they kind of took the space and they ignored oh. my me talking to them about the project or mm-hmm. i was just standing there beside them the whole time i was feeling i was feeling very ignored and uh, at the end of the day when uh, 
they completed their work and and they just told me to clean up the place i just felt very humiliated and uh, mm-hmm. i could see the difference from then and now that now actually people listen to me it's a uh, it's actually i feel like i'm respected as a human in fact even right now actually so i i i felt that very humiliating i felt that very degrading for, to me towards me and i didn't understand it really at that point of time but looking back i can understand their perspective because this distinction came only after my transition uh, i was also a little bit young so to understand this nuance uh, from my own uh, age group also mm-hmm. it's not even uh, they were older people conservative people it's not like that yeah this There is, is a, this is a major, uh, major gender uh, difference in the way people are treating women versus how people treat men and you experience that at a very young age um, and you are also seeing the change in how people accept you and what kind of work is allotted to you uh, even in college projects and school projects and things like that very interesting and thanks nandini for uh, chipping in and sharing the experience kritik what would your advice be to someone who is struggling with their gender dysphoria what steps would you suggest they take to make their acceptance journey easy are there any support groups or resources they can refer to i do take a lot of calls from uh, people through friends obviously uh, who are studying struggling with dysphoria i would say the same thing that i'm going to say say now to them uh, is that first uh you need to accept yourself i think that is the first part i was very uh, stru- i was struggling a lot with myself mm-hmm. is acceptance of oneself uh, come to terms with my own gender identity i think mm-hmm. that's the first step i would suggest every everyone go to a counseling session go to a psychiatrist or go to a psychologist if you do not have any depression or mental any mental health issue mm-hmm. i would i would suggest if you are not comfortable going with going to a psychiatrist i would definitely say everyone to go to the go to a psychologist go to a queer friendly psychologist also because we are seeing mm-hmm. a lot of medical professionals who are not aware of uh, trans men uh, and tra- and their issues so uh, uh, i think that is the first step for everybody to go the second step is after they accept themselves uh, they should uh, they after they come to terms of themselves i think the first uh, they should prioritize what is important to them mm-hmm. and uh, how they uh, how much they are willing to uh, they want to transition and uh, the f- uh, next step i would say is Uh, being financially independent i think that is that is a struggle i went through personally and uh, mm-hmm. i think it will be a lot more easier if someone is financially independent if they have a regular job and uh, i think that would solve a lot of issues them transitioning will not be hindered uh, in any way i feel that is a very important point that people should know the last thing is there are a lot of support groups available in india uh, mm-hmm. i think when i started transitioning i i we had a support group in my own uh, in, uh, college and uh, that's very rare in tamil nadu we had i think it's uh, one of the only support groups Uh, in a uh, lgbtq mm. support groups and colleges and in tamil nadu and i was lucky to be there in that institute and uh, there is a support group called orinum.net it's a mm. volunteer based support group in tamil nadu that it's uh, you can check it out on google there are, there are a lot of trans men support groups uh, called sampurna some ngos called uh, sathi and etc mm-hmm. and we also have a lot of whatsapp groups Uh, and we include a lot of people who want to transition want to know about transitioning who want to know about uh, how their life will be for example from from us so it's exclusive trans men whatsapp groups are available i think uh, that's a lot of support groups are available and uh, people should be really utilizing these uh, resources 
Okay. You know, you have uh, shared so many points of interaction for people who want to think about transitioning, even take the first step of accepting and acknowledging who they are, and then uh, start from there and then take the next steps. Right. Thank you so much. This has been eye opener for me in many ways. I'm going to now invite Nandini, who has written about the invisible men inside India's transmasculine networks. Uh, what an apt uh, segue into this topic. Nandini, tell us a bit about how you go about selecting topics to write. What were some of your ideas when you started this project? Uh, thank you for asking me that question, Shachi, and thank you for having me on the podcast. Well, for me, it's almost the same as fiction. An idea comes to you and you decide to explore. Um, I'm not by nature curious about people's personal lives, but I am about ways of living. For me, I think watching the film Boys Don't Cry uh, starring Hilary Swank was a nudge. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to the UK in the early 2000s, there was a change in the laws which allowed a person to self-identify, that is, choose one's gender. Mm -hmm. And also, which allowed civil partnerships between couples of any gender. Basically, mm -hmm. this meant common law marriages in some sense were no longer cis-heteronormative. So what began for me as a comparative study between the UK and India in 2005 culminated in this book 13 years later. I tend to write several books at a time and I live with these subjects for a long time before I have them published, sometimes even before I start interviewing widely. Okay. And for me, because I speak uh, multiple languages, it has always been about speaking to those who are not widely seen and widely heard. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to write a book speaking to activists and it's how a lot of journalists do their daily news coverage, you know, call up an activist, mm -hmm. say, okay, what's your opinion on this issue? For me, I wanted to go deeper and interview people who are not prominent and who don't use a certain opaque vocabulary. So the idea for me was that the information should be out there and people like me would learn about a crucial subject. Great. Thank you so much for sharing, uh, Nandini. 13 years it took you to put this book together. Number of people interviewing, number of researchers that you must have read must be humongous. You wrote the book with certain objective and perspectives in mind, which has been diversely interpreted. What is your opinion on a cisgender woman's legitimacy to write about trans men? For me, uh, I think everyone is entitled to write about everything. There are a lot of conversations right now about the right to represent or the right to portray. I feel that silences a lot of crucial voices and perspectives. So according to me, men should write about what we see as women's issues. White people should write about developing countries or former colonies. Immigrants should write about non-immigrant issues because how long are we going to remain in our echo chambers? Even with the Me Too movement, you know, everyone said men should just shut up and listen. But I think why? Because there is so much that a man can bring, so many perspectives that Absolutely. a man can bring into this. And first up, I think being sexually harassed is not the exclusive domain of women and we tend to see it that way. Right. And secondly, several laws can be exploited to ensure that the punishment might be disproportionate to a perceived crime. And therefore, I think it's very important that everyone pitches in and says his or her or their bit. And issues like cyberbullying and peer pressure, you know, like this happens even in the transmasculine community or the queer community at large, pressuring people to come out when they may not want to. All this must be brought to the fore. So I myself saw instances of sidelining and bullying within the transmasculine community. And as an outsider, I didn't face any pressure to conform. I don't belong to the community. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no 
consequence that i will personally face in my life there's no that sort of pressure was absent and i took advantage of that to just write what i saw and a lot of things were not seen as pleasant experiences a lot of things were seen as outside my domain they were seen as portraying the community in a bad way but i think all of us have to transcend these labels and see people as humans and any book must be about human experience you know you can't even i as a woman can i claim to speak for all women let's say you know between the ages of 10 and 100 no uh, can i say i speak for all indian women no can i say i even speak for women my age no i speak only as an individual and that's why i think it's very important that we have multiple voices on every issue rightly said nandini everyone has the right to express themselves and everybody must have the right to share their thoughts and their points of view that's how rich the diverse and inclusive voices will come up right i'm going to ask you about the comments and articles written against the views you shared in the book and as they say there are always two sides to the coin i also read your response have you received testimonials from your readers of your book who found answers that helped them make the transition i think i've always gone with walter you know on the right to an opinion and to put that out there and i think for the past 300 years that's been having its rewards and this is no exception a lot i did receive a lot of positive feedback from readers and i've been thanked for writing it by many trans men and trans women but i'll come to that in a bit done and i think what was most useful for young trans men reading this book was that i used chunks of quotes from my interviewees uh with their permission i used their video their video blogs i transcribed those i used facebook posts and things that they wanted to draw attention to so that is one way in which it has helped a lot of people and i think another way is that the book has uh, helped some trans men individually because all the proceeds from the book went right back to the community and uh, uh-huh. one of them was actually able to secure asylum in a different country using the book as proof that he was being bullied and that he was under a lot of pressure and that it would actually be dangerous for him to move back to his home country after finishing uh, a stint elsewhere great very interesting you know like i mentioned early on there's always two sides to the story and thank you for sharing your side of the story and the impact the book has created it's indeed very helpful if even if one person has been helped by your book it has made a lot of difference yeah moving on i want you to express or your thoughts on we read a lot about trans women in media but there is not much written spoken or discussed about trans men what can you be done to increase awareness and educate people about trans people in general and trans men in specific i think very often trans men themselves might choose to stay in the shadows about the fact that they have transitioned because it's very easy for trans men to pass as cis men uh, you know they might be seen as maybe slightly smaller in stature physical stature and uh, might have slightly more delicate features but one can't look at somebody and say oh that's a trans man uh, whereas in the tra- case of trans women many of them just by the fact that they are taller than your average cis woman uh, do tend to stand out and sometimes there might be a little extra femininity also and these are factors which call out trans women in public you know it's very okay. hard for them to pass um, compared to how it is for trans men 
but also the fact is that uh, trans women belong in communities you know they've created their own found families and there's a certain sort of network which i think has its own advantages and disadvantages there is a lot of bullying um which trans men can sometimes escape by by dint of being alone um but also it is a fact that uh, the trans men community is very underserved and very underseen and therefore there is a need to bring attention but for me i think it has to be an organic process because trans men do tend to be much more vulnerable transition itself is uh, more expensive it's harder there are large risks associated with that and i think living in found families as trans women do like i said comes with its own pressures but if you look at the portrayal of trans women now we say that they are seen in the media but their portrayal in films was uh, very negative maybe about 30 years ago um, and very often you'll see that a trans woman is in a tv series just to uh-huh. show diversity and i think these are also things which should be discouraged like you'll find that people from the queer community sometimes are just thrown into pictures into films into books as as saying oh you know these people also exist and therefore we should include them but real portrayals will take some time attention to the issues will take time it took centuries for women to be seen as not necessarily lesser individuals mm-hmm. and conversations about sexism are still on so conversations can begin about visibility of various queer communities mm-hmm. but it will not be an overnight uh, awareness prithik do you want to weigh in on uh, nandini's response with respect to trans men i think there is a significant disadvantage that we are not visible that's true that's uh, entirely true the coming out as a trans man is a very difficult process and uh, with, uh, when compared to trans women there is a, a small factor in the sense that they have a external support system like for in tamil nadu we have this support groups for trans men where uh, it, it's it's sort of like a found, uh, chosen family that exist uh the structured support system that exists for them coming out as a trans man is a very vulnerable position i would say for example leaving your household if uh, is not okay with you uh, identifying as a, as a different gender from your gender assigned at birth when, with respect to trans women uh, when they come out of their families they are physical physical stature is of male gender that is a small advantage until they cho- un- until they reach their fam- support group family uh with respect to trans men that is not the case and uh, amount of resources that is also given to pe- people assigned female at birth is is entirely different is entirely very less the amount of freedom the amount of information they are allowed, allowed to consume is very less so mm-hmm. uh, a person who i I've, i've seen a lot of people who after getting married forcefully even if if even if they didn't they didn't understand that they were a trans man after they got married they understood the, uh, because they were a trans man after marriage because they they were allowed to have this uh, other source of information the social life that they were, that they were initially not allowed to. Uh, i think that is a major aspect with people coming out as a trans man and the, with respect to the visibility part there are i should i think that there should be a lot of legal support that is uh, lacking uh, for trans people in general and also trans men especially there is no support group that exists if, if in in case of some traumatic even in case of some daily day uh, issues that arises with them in one way it is true that 
some trans men do stand out because of their physical stature even after they transition uh, and uh, people uh, as a society could identify them uh, as a trans man a trans woman but in the case of trans men that is uh, slightly different criteria criteria where when people tend to grow facial facial hair if they are on hormone replacement therapy, therapy or medical transitioning for example uh, as they grow facial hair they are uh, they can easily pass off as a male and uh, why would they want to put themselves at risk and why would they want to be in a vulnerable position by coming out as a trans man when when they could easily avoid that vulnerability and uh, be perceived as a male and everybody wants to be perceived as a male even uh, if we label ourselves as trans men i think that is also an issue that comes up with trans men visibility very interesting points you brought in krithik there's one point that i'd like to add to what kirtik said um, what he said about uh, trans women being able to go out before they transition because they are perceived as male and the rules which apply to boy children are different from those which apply to girl children you know for as long as they live under their family's roof and uh, this is something which a lot of my interviewees said that they weren't able to go out that they weren't able to uh, live their lives and therefore they were very restricted and they were kind of even the torment that they faced within their families it was not something that they could escape because they couldn't go to hostels whereas trans women before their transition very often were sent to hostels or were able to get away go and you know even run away from home and make a living somewhere whereas trans men are doubly vulnerable before their transition because they are perceived as female and open mm-hmm. themselves up to a lot of violation and also when they come out because all of a sudden another very negative thing which i would like to draw attention to is that there's a lot of curiosity around surgery and around mm-hmm. transition you know like oh so what have you done how much have you this thing have you had surgery so this kind of this is another very important point which i think we need to touch upon and maybe kirtik is better equipped to speak about that the fact that there's so much curiosity around bodies and around surgery and that a person is considered transitioned only after surgical transition Yes, thank you for uh, asking my opinion, Nandini. Uh, the thing is, uh, what what she's trying to say is that even within the queer circles, I find uh, that a person is is not accepted as a transgender person, for example, quote unquote transgender person, if if they have not done surgeries or if they are not willing to transition medically and or or legally. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think this is a this is this happens even within the queer community. So uh, I would not be surprised with respect to the society in general, cis or heteronormative society in general, because there is an attached uh, romanticization on the one hand where I've come across this personally, where some people approached me in a very friendly manner, and because they were very curious and. they wanted to show off that they were very inclusive for example and they okay. i felt like i was being perceived uh, in this i i didn't understand that initially because i i, I came out at a very young age and, and i i was very outgoing in general and i wanted mm-hmm. to make friends i understand now that those were not my real friends they have the people heteronormative people who want who are acting as friends they always wanted to hear my story always wanted to what is transition and uh, if i have done certain things for example and uh, the amount of personal questions i was subjected to i i now feel a little violated in certain in a certain way uh, i i felt like i was i was like a, i was perceived like an animal in a zoo that's one uh, a perspective i i wanted to share on the other hand even within the core circles when there is a sort of uh, these kind of rules that is put uh, that 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 becomes a pressure for a trans person and there is a lack of understanding even within the queer circle and also in society that if someone perceives as a trans individual they 
uh, and they they have the uh, they have the choice to make what surgeries they want to undergo or do they want to undergo a legal transition it is entirely up to the individual and uh, it doesn't make person less of a trans uh, individual if if they don't uh, apply to these rules or if they if they don't transition fully and got and got fully and the amount of full transition is undetermined uh, in this uh, situation so basically what you are saying is curiosity makes people want to come close to someone curiosity is something which drives various behaviors from people including making uh, the other person feel like they were a specimen to be inspected it's really sad and i think all this stems basically from lack of awareness lack of literature available freely around these subjects that is where i think the allies come into place what has been your experience being an ally nandini are more allies needed to support trans men in particular and what steps would you suggest one should take to become an ally speaking about the issue is important you know writing books doing podcasts like this and educating oneself is the most important thing that an ally should do yes you can show up at pride marches and yes you can put your personal pronouns you know uh, on your social media pages but i think the most important thing is that all of us need an education and this was something that a judge of the madras high court recently said that he needs to educate himself and see the thing one of the reasons i wrote the book from my perspective and i made myself very vulnerable in the book and i spoke about a lot of my own misunderstandings like early on i would speak to trans men and i would not call them out on their sexism because i felt somehow that they had a right to speak about women in a certain way because they had been the way i saw it then was that they had been women and writing the book itself was such a journey for me that now i i kind of feel embarrassed to say that i thought they had been women you know uh, so i think that's a kind of journey and i'm not of course my journey is not complete there are words which i'm learning like mm-hmm. some sometimes people would say something like oh you know the gnc person and i would say gnc is what and they would say gender non conforming but these are things which the queer community does not need to learn they've already had their education and i think when you're outside the community you do need to educate yourself and i think another important thing about allyship is we need to start seeing people as humans rather than representatives of their gender and sexuality while also acknowledging the existence of a spectrum of genders and sexualities maybe kritik could tell us like what is it that you would uh, look for in allies and what is it you consider good allyship over the years i have experience like i said in the previous question also i have had a lot of cis hetero friends who uh, i have come out to as a trans man for example uh, i have had this experience that say for example one per, one person who considers herself as an ally actually told me to told me to my face that i was privileged enough when compared to uh, other people in general and i should uh, take a back to them i should do this i should do that and uh, at that point of time i didn't really think about it and later on i understood i i was feeling that i am a privileged person and who is she uh, then is, is there a term for a cis hetero person more privileged than myself and uh, i was thinking why if she told me this why why couldn't she herself propagate sensitization for example i is just a curious thought on my part and i i now i later after so many years i understand that being an ally is like nandini said not just going to the pride not just taking photos with uh, lgbtq people not just showing off uh, uh, saying that i have a gay friend uh, but 
to actually help sensitize people around them them because as queer person i am more vulnerable when compared to the heteronormative society in general and i feel they could take up a lot of burden themselves in helping queer people get their acknowledgement when when they are not when they are not so vulnerable as as uh, as queer people and a, a small thing i see right now uh, on uh, social media is that people edit their usernames uh, with their pronouns in the brackets this uh, in a lot of way made a lot of sense because uh, this shows that they are open they knew know about uh, trans people existing and they they willingly uh, share their pronouns in the sense uh, that uh, they want to show to everybody that they are they are a safe person and they and we should uh, we can actually ask them to uh, call us with our pronouns for example recent i am also learning in the pro- process of being in the lgbtq community myself and this is a small thing that i learned where i, I should not say preferred pro- pronouns rather i should say that is my pronouns and uh, like this i think there is a long way to go but uh, educating yourself even if you have that curiosity i think use it in a uh, if people use it in a very respectful way if they are curious about it Thank you both Nandini and Prithik there has been a wealth of information that you both have shared on how one can be a good ally Thank you for listening in For this episode we would like to thank our guests the French embassy the French institute and the Alliance Francis network in India for producing the show our special thanks to Hemant Sarang and his team for their advice and technical support Please do subscribe and review the show available on various podcasting platforms and on the website afindia.org/podcast listening to the voices that are often invisible but powerful enough to clear the haze